Hi there. You just caught me reading my brand new book, Twin Peaks Unwrapped. The book. Me and my co-host Ben Durant wrote this last year and is now finally out at bluerosebag.com. This book contains over 100 interviews with cast and crew, community commentary, and of course, us. For example, here are some of the fine folks you'll find in this wonderful book. Krista Bell, Charlotte Stewart, David Patrick Kelly, Jim Belushi, John Neff, Scott Frost, Cheryl Lee, Matthew Lillard, and the one, the only, Kyle McLaughlin. So get your copy today at bluerosemag.com. This week's edition of Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Brian Kazaska, and today we have a very special co-host from the Blue Rose Magazine, the Red Room Podcast, the one and only Scott Ryan. Thank you so much. I think this is awesome that I get to guest host in Ben's absence. I'm a little annoyed already. I mean, you're sitting there. You've got a comfy chair. You've got a nice cup of coffee. I get this folding chair. I mean, you gave me like this little cup, this styrofoam cup that has water and, and it's, there's floaties in the water. Why? What, what is this disrespect? I know you got. I mailed you that care package before we started the show. You get a little tiny cup of water. Yeah, this isn't how you treat a guest host. I see Ben's chair. It looks real nice, very comfy. It folds back like a movie theater thing, and I get this. I don't even get a cushion. Uh, we we try to keep our uh, our guests, uh, you know, on the edge of their seats. You know, we don't make you too comfortable because then you'd want to take over permanently. And Ben, oh, okay, so, yeah, got to keep, okay, keep you uncomfortable. So, um, Scott, before we get going in today's show, I wanted to say thank you for being part of our best of two years in a row. Um, that I mean, it means a lot to us. We had a great time um, putting it together, and you are always the glue. You are like <laughs> our constant. It's true. I'm very sticky. I hear that all the time. Um, <laughs> Well, it is weird because I have got so many compliments from people about that show. They're, they keep tweeting, and I'm like, listen, I that's Ben and Brian. They put it together in that way. Like, I just, I say my ridiculous things, and that's about it. 
you know, I'm, but I love doing it and it's, it's a lot of fun. And I don't know where you came up with the idea of my head being crushed, but um... <laughs> I, I still like the point where you like, he stops crushing your head just so you, you can uh, hawk the blue rose magazine and then he continues well, crushing he... your head. Even at my own death, I'm still trying to sell the Blue Rose. And because I'm here today, I want to offer all the listeners a special coupon code. You go to the BlueRoseMag.com, and for your coupon code, you can use TPU for Twin Peaks Unwrapped. That's TPU. You put that in, you get $2 off any order. If you always wanted to try a magazine, you want $2 off, you can get it, or... Hopefully you'll go out and subscribe to 2018 because we need all our subscribers because we don't want to fold in our second year. We'd love to be able to go and make it, you know, longer <laughs> than four issues. Um, so go out there and support us. And um, we've got some great things coming up. So. Is there like one or two things you can share with us about issue five that can get people excited Honestly, issue five is so amazing that sometimes I just want to scream, are you kidding me, people? Um, <laughs> we have Jeff Lemire, who is an artist at Marvel in D.C. He's a comic book artist, but he also does great things on his own, like Gideon Falls. And, and he's, he's amazing. He drew the front and back cover for us. Nice. It's a wraparound cover. It's phenomenal. I mean, you've seen it online by now, and it's, it's amazing. We have an interview with Ray Wise and an interview with Damon Lindelof. And then he created Lost. Um, that's huge. And then we have John Thorne writing and Courtney and issue five is, is has some star power. That's awesome. I, I'm, I'm excited to get my hands on it. And everybody out there should be as well. So the Blue Rose Magazine, put that code in, uh, bluerosemag.com. Check it out. Um, and I know we're recording this in the middle of January. It's When you guys hear this, it will be beginning of February. So we're a little out of sync when it comes to events. But I just wanted to say it was kind of sad to see Kyle McLaughlin lose. I thought he had it in the bag in the Golden Globes, personally. I uh, Hugh McGregor was the only competition in that, in that uh, category, yeah. I thought. Yeah, I thought it was a 50-50 shot. But one of the things you have to remember is that it's the Hollywood foreign press. So if there is someone from another country up, they usually have a leg up. So Ewan McGregor, not an American, you know, they, they tend to win easier. So you can't... You can't put that much stock into it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Kyle was yeah. obviously robbed, um, but <laughs> I'm I'm not overly surprised. Yeah, I mean, it was awesome just to see him there in representing Twin Peaks at the Golden Globes. I thought that that itself was really cool. Um, in that same weekend, uh, Ben and myself we got to go to the Museum of Modern Art in New York and actually see. Not all of, but parts of season three on the big screen uh, amongst Twin Peaks fans. And it was absolutely amazing. We met people who know you, Scott. We met Janet. Ooh. Yeah, Janet's awesome. She's she's a great friend. Yeah, and we met a few others. I, I'm bad with names. 
Uh, I was only there for one day. Ben, he 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 would know all the names of everybody we met. Um, but like we saw Christian, a bunch of other people. It was just really awesome, and it's just so funny. Like people like they come up to us. They go, "You're Ben and Brian. I know Scott." And it you you're like the bridge. You like bridge everybody together. It's really cool. Oh, that's kind. Yeah, I wish I could have been there. And Aaron uh, was also there, and he was was yes. passing around the blue rose. So that was really cool. And um, I, you guys are so lucky to be able to see them back to back in that setting, the way it should be seen. And I hope this is just the first event among many others where they start to do that. Uh, you know what? I hope so because. It was really cool. I watched five, six, seven, and eight, and it went by so quickly. And the audience reaction to all the Dougie stuff, the humor, um, the belly laughs that people—I mean, it just really it amped up the experience from watching it at home. And um, it truly is a beautiful picture, and the sound was absolutely amazing. So it, it was a great experience. Yeah, that, I'm very jealous. That's really cool. Maybe you can get it played in Ohio somehow. You pull some strings, Scott. I know you can do yeah, it. I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> I'll just tell them I'm, I'm me and I bridge the gap. You bridge the gap. When I tell them that, they'll, they'll let me play it. Um, I think that, I really do think we're going to see it played as marathons. I think Showtime will see the reaction from MoMA, and they're still looking at how to make money off this. Um, the president of Showtime spoke last week and he used a very interesting word and it was exploit. And I was, what? I thought, wow, good for him. Cause he said, we're still looking at ways to exploit Twin Peaks. And I thought, huh, I wonder if he really meant to choose that word. But so I think that they are, um, they're they're looking to still market and get it out, and I think that's what he meant to say. So I think they will probably um, start playing it in theaters more. Yeah, you know what? That I mean, that's a good point. I feel like Twin Peaks has this um, because of the fan base. It has this um, rewatchability that some shows may not have on Showtime. I mean, you watch Ray Donovan once. I don't know if that's a show you would watch over and over and over again. Um, so maybe Showtime realizes um, all these pop-ups they're doing, and now with this, that this is something that can continue. And uh, Twin Peaks Season 3 could have these long legs that they really can make some money off of. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I hope so. I think they will. So we have a lot of segments on today's show, Scott. And this is why I'm glad you're here. Later on, we're going to be talking about we're going to be doing unpopular opinions because I figured you're the perfect person. You've had some unpopular opinions. So I was like, oh, Scott's going to be on. We got to do this. <laughs> and yeah, I, I love you for it. I, I, you know, you're, you're, you're just like, no, this is what I think. And I, I mean, that's great. But before that, you brought up a topic when we were messaging before the show. And it's something I really want to hear about more about. It's your sci-fi in the Trump era. Mr. Spock, prepare to beam Scotty on board. 
Yeah, and you know, I mean, I don't know. I think we're probably starting the unpopular opinions right now. Maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe this whole episode might be that, but I don't, but, you know. This could be something that offends people, but I hope that if you, no matter which side of the political side you're on, you'll see what I mean. So I've been noticing that with X-Files, with Star Wars, with Star Trek, and of course with Twin Peaks, They've all had comebacks in the Trump era. All of them have been received with mixed reviews. And sometimes you think of mixed reviews as being average reviews. And the X-Files is, is a great example where the next morning I would go through my Facebook feed and someone would say, the X-Files, best episode ever. Next person, X-Files, absolute crap. And it was the same way with The Last Jedi. You yeah. would read, the best movie ever. It's an absolute piece of crap. And I'm like, this can't be. And of course, with Twin Peaks, there are people who um, are split on season three. I mean, there's, there's some longtime Twin Peaks people who've totally given it up because they hate season three. Yeah, yeah. And so I I blame this on Trump. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Damn but, you, so Trump. Um, yeah, I mean, everything's Trump's fault. You, you but know, even if, if... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you bring up a great point, but finish your thought, finish your thought. But the idea is, that because right now our world on a daily basis is so topsy-turvy, and I'm going to be polite about it because maybe, you know, to me it's crumbling because I don't agree with the way our Congress and Senate and executive branch are representing Americans. But even if you think it was Obama, let's say, that was horrible, and they didn't represent it. It doesn't matter where you stand. The idea is the world is topsy-turvy. Well, in those times, people look to sci-fi, and I think people want to go into Star Wars and feel better. They want to, they want to feel like a kid again, like they did when, when it was 77 and they saw Star Wars, or 83. It doesn't matter when or God forbid, if you went to see Attack of the Clones to feel better, I, I apologize to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but either way, it's not going to happen. You're not going to come out of a two-hour movie and then walk out into this mess of, of what we've got going on and feel better. A movie and art are not going to save you right now. What these pieces are doing is reflecting our society. Yeah. And that's what sci-fi truly does. It didn't save you, it reflects. And we are in a time of 50-50 um, arguments. Either it's the greatest or the worst. That's, you know, Trump's the best president or the worst president. Obama was the best or the worst. Yeah. And there is no middle ground. So that's what I'm seeing reflected in The Last Jedi, um, the new Star Trek Twin Peaks, and then the X-Files season 11. Um, you know what? I, it's something I've been thinking for, actually, since the last Saturday came out. Um, you make a great point because, so during the election, it was 50, you were with us, or you were against us mentality on all fronts politically. Um, and I feel like the, thing, the waters have calmed down, but all of a sudden Star Wars comes out, 
and or any like Twin Peaks, Star Wars, like said X Files, and then all of a sudden you're right. There, it's you. You either hate it or like it. There's no middle ground, and it's almost this like um, if you love something, you get defensive. So then you attack someone, and then they hated it, but they they don't like the fact that you liked it, so they attack you, and it, it's almost. Like that first weekend of Star Wars almost felt like a condensed version of the um, election. It was just like, oh, yeah. you couldn't like something without someone telling you you're an idiot for liking it. And you also said you couldn't hate you, you hated it without someone telling you you're an idiot for hating it. <laughs> and it was just like, wow, what we're, we've come, we've not come that far, people. Like, you can hate something and that's totally fine. And I can like it, and that's totally fine, too. Why are we arguing? But it, it was weird. Well, I, I totally see that. And I really think that it is happening in sci-fi because that is what – there are some people who are saying, no, 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 you go here to escape, and I want to go, but I didn't escape. And the thing is – and here we go on the unpopular opinions. You shouldn't go to a movie to forget about global warming. Like, it's too big of a problem to forget about. And that's just one example, or whatever, or North Korea, or all of these things. I mean, it's not going to happen. R2-D2 isn't going to make you forget about <laughs> what's going on. It's yeah. just, that's too much to ask of a piece of art. And I don't think it's happening as much with, let's say, the disaster artist, or a comedy. I can't really think of a comedy that's out right now, but... A ladybird or something. I haven't heard people like say, "What you like, ladybird? I'll kill you." Um, and I, I just feel like it's it's because sci-fi reflects us more than other art. And the original Star Trek um, that reflected a lot. I mean, that was very that was commentary sure. on a lot of stuff going on and how they viewed. And I. I hear good things about Orville that they're doing almost the exact same thing the original Star Trek would do and reflect. I love Orville. I, I love it. I mean, Orville is one of my favorite shows that's on right now. I mean, it might be my favorite show, but I might be forgetting of something else, but I'm loving it. And you've seen, I just saw, you just saw Last Jedi today. Is that true? I, yeah, I saw The Last Jedi for my third time. Um, in uh, last night in IMAX 3D. Now, do you, yeah. Do, do you see direct political commentary from the writers on Trump America in The Last Jedi? Um, that's a hard question to answer. Only because the original Star Trek, I'm um, Star Wars, was influenced. You know, the, the stormtroopers were actually. Named after you know these not the Nazi regime were called stormtroopers. These people, these foot soldiers. Right. So they, and in the, and in Force Awakens, when they would show all the stormtroopers lined up, it looked very not you know very, you know Nazi esque because that was the vibe the originals had. And this one, we didn't see much of the stormtroopers, so I didn't think about that aspect um, of. Nazism or repressing, but yes, when when um when I was gonna say Diane, when uh, <laughs> Laura Dern, Laura Dern's character, which I should know and I don't remember it, when she does that speech in in the middle of the film, when she, t she takes over, 
um, to me, that felt very like, you know, there is hope out there. We have to continue it to be the spark. We have to continue together. It's like she's joining them to say, listen, we can't just give up. And I kind of felt like the rebellion is kind of like the people that are kind of pushing against Trump, the Trump administration right now. Um, so I, I've, I've kind of thought that. And when she does that speech, I always think about like the Women's March, um, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I do. I think there's undertones um, that if you really wanted to dig in, you could find them if you wanted to. Also, in the very beginning, one of the um, Empire's captains of one of his ships is called Hannity. And I thought that was, I'm like, hmm, interesting. I wonder if that's a, um, a dig at Sean Hannity. <laughs> it seems unlikely. I don't know. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Is the next film going to have an O'Reilly somewhere? Really? Uh, I was just going to say, it was weird when he fought with O'Reilly. That when they got in the, the uh, and then Morning Joe came in and he was a robot. It was so weird. Um, well, it's, it's interesting because I saw it a little late because I didn't want to fight the crowd. So I think I saw it two weeks after it came out. Yeah. And I'd heard all of these things, like people were freaking out. So when I went to see it, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be so political. I'm in. And I didn't see one. I didn't see anything. I mean, no. I mean, maybe a little bit they go to that planet where there's rich people in the casino. But so what? In, in 1977, they went to the the cantina. Yeah. I mean, that's part of Star Wars. Yeah. Is there yeah being yeah. a bar scene. And I, they just upped it with more stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, I, like I said, you have to dig. You have to, like, see what you want. I think people are projecting what they want. But like I said, other than that speech for me, I didn't really see uh, overlaying of political stuff. I mean, how would you like the film though? I mean, did you enjoy? It? Did you think it was a good continuation or Um, I thought it was way too long. Um, I, it just that that's my biggest criticism. When when um there's a big fight with Snope or Snoke or whatever his name is. Yeah. And I'm sure right now Josh Minton is laughing cuz I pronounced it wrong. And um and then I thought, oh, the movie's over. And then we had to go through <laughs> one more battle. And I was like, whoo, 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 I can make it through this. Um, so it was just a little long. But I would say it was average. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I just thought it was average. I thought it was okay. I, there was nothing that offended me. Uh, there was nothing that, that totally sparked me. My favorite part of the whole movie is when Finn says to Benicio, you know, you're wrong. You can't be on their side. And he looked at him and said, maybe. That was my favorite part of the whole movie. Because <laughs> I was like, wait, the, the idea of ambivalence and that there is no side. Well, I really liked that. Yeah, when they're in that ship and he goes, let's see who owned the ship. And it was an arms dealer, but he was selling to the good, the bad side and the good side. And right. I, I think where people might have dug into the political stuff is when his character says, live free, don't buy in. And it's almost right. like saying, don't pick a Republican or Democrat. Be your, Don't buy into – they're both evil. They both can be good. They both can be evil. Don't buy in. Be you know, Stay independent. And I kind of – I could see that now that you mention it. Um, 
that connotation. Like, it was interesting. I like that, how we're saying, this is kind of muddy. We're muddying up the waters in Star Wars here, and I, right. I really enjoyed that. And and that's, I think that's cool. So that was my favorite part. Um, I just don't know that I needed it to be three hours long. You know, um, <laughs> it was just a little long. Per- personally, my first time, I, I thought it was a little too long. My second time, it went, it flew by, and I saw it last night, and it just flew by. Um but I, I'm a huge fan of it. Um, and I really, my, I saw it once and I was criticizing the casino stuff going on. Was it busy work for Finn? I don't think we needed it. And the second time I paid, you know, I was, I was watching with a critical eye and I enjoyed it more. And that third time I was just like, I just love it. I think it's my favorite. I think Ryan Johnson did a great job. But like I said, everybody has their opinion about it and that's great. But yeah, sci fi has, you know, you're right. I mean, what do we have? Another Star Trek movie, maybe an R-rated Star Trek film coming out if Quentin Tarantino is involved? I mean, how do you feel about that if that does happen? Well, you know, it's funny. I don't believe it. Um, I mm. don't think Quentin is going to follow through with that. I'm sure he'll get a story credit, but I will be really surprised if Quentin Tarantino actually directs the Star Trek film. I just don't see it happening. Um, I mean, I know he's a big fan because he has a lot of Star Trek references in Crimson Tide because he did an uncredited rewrite of that. And so I know he's a a Star Trek fan. I'd love to hear his story, Um, but I just don't think it'll happen. I just don't see it. think of the x-files premiere yes let's get into the x-files um you know i i watched the first episode uh personally i i was excited to see scully Mulder back on the screen i get excited by that i love those I, you know i love everybody on the show and i for me it was a subpar episode i kind of felt like i it was overly monologued it was you know, you have Fox Mulder doing the voiceover a lot. And then we have the cancer smoking man giving us a lot of monologue to his assistant, which to me, I'm like, his assistant should know all this. Why? It went on way too long. And then driving, a lot of driving. And then... Yeah, now the, the joke I made was I never thought I'd seen more driving than I did in part 18 in Twin Peaks. Yeah, you're <laughs> and right. the X-Files beat it. <laughs> yeah, it was driving a monologue. And then I was slightly confused. Okay, so did, did the last episode of last season never happen? But did that mean the first episode and the last episode of last season never happened? And then at the end when Cancer Man gives us that bomb... I was like, ew, I was gross, but then I was like, wait a minute, he's lying, because this entire, yeah, I think he's ep- lying too. This entire episode, like, they lay it out. There's no hiding this. You know, the opening card says, lie, you know, I want to lie. He literally lays it out that he's manipulated the United States forever. Um, so he's just trying to get out of his situation by lying to Skinner so he doesn't get shot or arrested or whatever i don't know it was all right i mean i wasn't i'm excited but i wasn't like oh my god we're back you know i don't know what would you think um i thought that it was ridiculously male 
in a television sense. Like it reminded me of watching Texas Walker Ranger or Nash Bridges or something really male from the 90s. And I think one of the funniest things I've seen on TV in a long time was Mulder pushing Skinner and then Skinner shoves him right back. Yes. And I actually laughed out loud. They are plus 50 years old. And they shoved each other like they were teenagers in the Six Million Dollar Man. Maybe I went too old for your demographic. No, no, I know who that is. Um, but, I mean, it's like TV doesn't have old men shoving each other anymore and driving and chase, chasing and, and cars. And I know you're behind, but the, the, the newer episode, um, yeah. it was a similar thing. It seems like... It's just TV I don't watch anymore. Yeah, I, I totally hear it, 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 it It's like old action-adventure-y, but not really good action-adventure. just shoving and pushing and, and cars smashing. Like, we don't do that kind of TV anymore. Yeah, you right? know, right. The two things that stood out for me that I found very odd in that first episode was a, a the, the guy trying to run down... Um, I forget his name now. He's trying to run him down with his car, and he chases after him uh, about William. But the door, he, he slams the door on him, <laughs> yeah, and he just stops. He's like, I'm not going to come. Yeah, he's like, damn. Yeah, the door. You, the door. Like, I'm not going to try to, like, shoot through the door. I'm not going to try to, like, no. find you. And then the shoving, I was like, why wouldn't Skinner, after all these years of knowing, of knowing what's going on, why wouldn't you pull Mulder aside and say, listen, I was told this. He shoves him. It was, yeah, to me, that scene made no sense. I'm like, in, in, if you no, want. No, I literally, I laughed out loud for yeah. real. <laughs> it, it made no sense. You're right. It, it, like, if Skinner and Mulder weren't on friendly terms and this was season one, that would make sense. But this is season 11. They know each other. They're on each other's side. Why wouldn't Skinner just tell him? Hey, I just talked to you know who, and he told me you know what, you know. But <laughs> it was just like, hey, I, 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 they, they just grunted at each other and push each other and said, "Stay away." And I'm like, that's it was very bizarre, very bizarre. Well, it was, and you know, just here we are talking about all these things that are not Twin Peaks. Your listeners are going, "What? What have I done here?" Uh, this is Twin Peaks unwrapped. You know, let's pull it back to Twin Peaks. And say, this is why season three was good. You know, there's a lot of things we can say that are bad about season three. But what we can say that's good is that they didn't try to put the show back in the 90s. And I think the X-Files is they're doing the same type of television where Lynch and Frost said, okay, fine, we're going to go back to Twin Peaks, but we're not going back at all. We're going forward to Twin Peaks. Correct. Where I feel like we're going back to the X-Files. Correct. I, and I think that's where Twin Peaks got it right. And Chris Carter's kind of faltering. Um, you know, like the mythology was a stinker last season. The standalone episodes were, were, were great for the most part, but it didn't feel, it felt disconnected. And not it didn't flow very well for me, but I don't know. We'll have to see how this season goes. And I do think it's funny that David Duchovny looked better as Denise Bryson than he does as Mulder. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I do agree. Yeah, his face looks weird in those suits. I don't know. And be, uh, here's this, I have the first question about X-Files for you, Scott. Uh, today, uh, last week, there was rumors, and it's, you know, Julian Anderson said, I'm hanging up the Scully hat. I'm done after this. This is it for me. Um, I pose a question to you. Should X-Files end after this season? Because if Scully's not going to be in it, I feel like we're going right back in that road in season eight and nine when when Dave Duchovny left and then Scully left and and nobody cared anymore. Are we already... If, if Julian Anderson's not doing it, do you feel X-Files should just bow and gracefully leave? A hundred percent, yes. Um, the X-Files is... Scully, it isn't Mulder because as you said, Mulder left. She was there the whole time. And after seeing the first two episodes, I'm wondering if Gillian Anderson, who I think is the single best working television star today, as far as she did Hannibal, she did The Fall, she can do The X-Files, and they're all completely different. Like, there isn't another actress that's moving between shows. I guess you could say Laura Dern, but it's not as um, prolific as Jillian has been. Yeah. Because Laura Dern's is more contained. Um, But without her, you've got nothing. And I'm wondering if Jillian left because the show is ridiculously male. And she said, I'm I'm actually, I'm getting good parts now. I'm not going to lay on the floor and shoot and (laughs) roll around and, and have a guy... You know, Mulder had to save her in the first thing and slit her throat because she couldn't fight him off. That didn't happen in the fall. She she defended herself. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, if Jillian just looked at this and said, nah. She did mention so. how there was no female writers on the X-Files. And it, it feels it. It's just ridiculously male. Yeah. To it, me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think after this season, they should gracefully... Give us an ending. Give us an ending and and go away and let us remember the wonderful times we had with uh, Scully and Mulder. Because I, I don't want it to go down the route where all of a sudden Fox, in a year and a half, they're like, well, X-Files is coming back. It's just going to have Dave Duchovny. Or it's going to have those two young people right, yeah. that nobody cares about. And I don't want it to go down the route of it, you're beating a dead horse. The ratings get bad. Nobody cares about it. It it just, it just sputters out, and the ratings were pretty bad on that first one. I mean, it was only like five million people, and which may not be bad normally, but when you compared it to last year, because I looked it up, yeah, it was in the tens of millions watched the first one, and so it, it the ratings were down from the get go. Yeah, so. and the word of mouth in that first episode wasn't good. I mean, overall, no. it wasn't positive. Um, and that goes to my, my last question about this whole, we'll wrap this segment up. Um, network television. I kind of feel like they're beating a dead horse with this reboot trend. Um, personally, I'm not a hundred percent on board with it. We had Will and Grace. We have Roseanne coming out in March. Then NBC decides we'll We'll put something. We'll, we'll say we're interested in getting the office back, and then today, um, ABC says we might go back to the island in Lost. And you have the X Files out right now. We have um, 
Netflix has their own rebirth of Full House. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm like, is uh, network television panicking because cable channels have some of the best shows and streaming services? And then all of a sudden now the network's like, well, we can't spend that much money. We can go the cheap route and find things people really liked, bring it back on the cheap, and it's an easy win. And I kind of, I'm, I'm hoping, I hope this trend dies quickly. But I, what are your thoughts about this whole rebooting thing? Well, I think that it is becoming the cycle of art. So if you take movies, movies were so original. And that's where it was at. And then Jaws and Star Wars come around and Rocky, and that began the sequel thing. And everything had to be a sequel, sequel, and that's all they did. Yep. And so every, every movie was a sequel. Well, in the time when it was sequel time, that's when television was coming up with these brilliant ideas like Twin Peaks and X-Files and then Lost and The Sopranos and all of these things. And now TV has eaten itself and all it's doing is, well, let's just reboot and sequel, sequel, sequel. And I wonder if now it'll go back to movies being uh, original. It won't. Um, maybe we'll have to read. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Reading? What's reading? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's it's time for it to end. And I think a great example of this is The Good Place on NBC. Um, if you're not watching The Good Place, you are really, really missing out on creative storytelling. And it's by the guy of Parks and Rec. And oh. Parks and Rec was a great show. But it ended. It only went four or five years, and it could have went on forever, but it didn't. It has a nice end. And now you've got the, this writer who came up with another idea, and The Good Place changes so much. And I don't know if it's going to burn out because they, they go through so many plot points, but to me, that's what it should be. Like, have an idea, bring it to an end, have a new idea bring it to an end. Don't I, just keep bringing back the same thing. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, some people might say, well, what about Twin Peaks? Well, that ended on a cliffhanger that never came back. So I kind of feel like it deserved a continuation. But Roseanne, I, you know, Dan died. I don't know what the hell they're going to do to bring him back from the dead. That show ended. Um, the Office ended. You know, Lost ended. Um, X-Files ended, sort of. Um, but, like, I don't know what, you know, if these shows were to come back, what what would they do? I would rather them create a new idea. And your Park and Rec, I didn't know he did the same guy from Park and Rec. And I loved Park and Rec. I adored that show. And instead of bringing The Office back, it's like, why don't you just come up with a new show that's sort of like The Office? But you, right. you're giving us a new characters, new plots. We already know what happened in the office for eight years. Um, I don't think we need to know any more. And I kind of feel like networks are just relying on nostalgia. That's not even that old, you know? And they're, yeah. Well, and it's also viewers because what I think is crazy that's going on now is how they're now remaking animated films as live action. So we had an animated Beauty and the Beast. Oh, and then yes. we have to see a live action Beauty and the Beast. Yep, yep. And then they'll do an animatronics Beauty and the Beast, like Jungle Book, <laughs> yep. which they do. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's yeah. like, it's the same story. Who's going to see it? You know what happens. 
stop going to see what you already know. Yeah, and Beauty and the Beast was the highest grossing movie of the year until Star Wars came out. And now we have Lion King coming to out. Lion King's going to be right. a lot. Yeah, we're going to have a live action Lion King. And then I think a Mulan. I think there's a talk. Yeah, on... yeah. They're, yep. They're doing uh, a live action Mulan. And it's like you already made it. What is it? It's, it's with people. You could have done people. Before. I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, jumping in with our unpopular opinions, you mentioned Twin Peaks. And this is again. You know, I don't know if I said this out loud. I know you're going to share something you haven't shared, but my thing about Twin Peaks coming back is that it didn't come back. And that's that's the real secret. Mm. Like, Twin Peaks never came back. I mean, did we see Cooper again? No. No. We never saw Cooper. And you could even say that in the little part that we kind of see Cooper, you actually don't see Cooper because it all resets. And what you really see is Richard. You know, you, you didn't really see Laura. You saw Carrie page. Um, I'm, I don't believe that we ever saw Norma or Shelly or Bobby or Andy or Lucy, because I don't really think um, episodes one through 16 and a half are real. Wow. So interesting. So what I think happened is, you know, Lynch wanted to tell a story and Mark Frost said, Hey, we could use the Twin Peaks people. And he said, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) So they're like, yeah, I like all those people. I just don't want to, I don't, I don't care. I mean, you don't know where Annie is. You don't know anything about that. That didn't happen. It didn't pick up really with with what happened you don't even look audrey we never even really saw that was all in her head or or a, um a nut house or who knows it was very dreamlike it was very dreamlike yeah. the whole season yeah I, I totally agree i mean that's a fascinating to, way to look at it um so we're going to go, this is going to be our unpopular opinion segment of the podcast. So do you want me to leave or what? What I want and what I need are two different things, Audrey. I just want to say to everybody out there, you know, we might not say something you agree with, um, and that's fine. Um, let us challenge you, and you can always email Scott. And complain to him about it. <laughs> that is true. It's true. That is true. I, I take uh, criticism better than anyone. You can pile it on me. It has no effect. You'd have to work really, really. That's what I tell people all the time. You have to work really hard to hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I think that's. I, I think it's great because you have. You've had some interesting stuff. I've heard you say when we were at the Twin Peaks Festival this uh, past year, and. Um, you know, I, I like how you think out, you think way outside the box, um, which is great. You just have a different way of thinking about stuff. And I think that's fascinating. And that's why I thought this, this segment would be perfect for this show. Um, I wanted to talk about the Mark Frost books. We had the first, you know, first book, the, the history, and then we have the one that just came out recently. Um, and I have something that's been back of my head for a very long time. And I, I, I hadn't said, never came out, 
came up, so I didn't bring it up, and I didn't want to be a negative Nancy, so I never said it. Um, when when the Secret History came out, and we talked to you, we talked to John Thorne, um, we talked to Joel, you know Ben, Ben, because you guys, everyone, you guys are so close to the material of Twin Peaks, where I'm I'm closer now, but than I wasn't, and you guys have seen, you know every detail, and Ben was like, well, there was inconsistencies, and then you said the same thing, and John and Joel, and uh, even the community at large were just saying, things don't match up from this book, from what we know in Twin Peaks, but there was this this kind of um, thing where everybody just kind of said, well, Mark Frost is playing with us, this has to be intentional, this has to be intentional, and I kept quiet because I, I, you know, I, I'm like, hey, I, this is, I, I'm not gonna say anything. But my, my, my general gut feeling was, maybe Mark Frost just forgot, or he didn't know, or he didn't realize, and he wrote this book, and some of the things were not intentional. Maybe it was just an accident, and because everybody had this um, sort of aura of you did this intentionally. He went with it. He said, okay, it's intentional. And then this last book came out. It didn't really change anything, that first book, of all the mistakes. And this book came out, and I kind of feel like people said, okay, maybe these mistakes weren't intentional. Or maybe some people are still holding out that they are. But I, when we interviewed him, he mentioned how him and Lynch only watched the last episode before going into season three. So to me, I was like, you know, he's not close to this material like everybody else has for 25 years. Everybody has scrutinized and um, analyzed everything. And, you know, he's only human, and he probably did forget, and he probably just, it just was something, you know, it just came out that way. And I don't know, that's how I've always thought. And I know it's kind of unpopular to say, I'm like, maybe he just didn't know. I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm typing an email to you about how much I hate this um, <laughs> my, my theory <laughs> and how I'm offended. And I'm trying to think of personal attacks against you personally because of your idea. I'm, I'm like critiquing your mustache and goatee oh, and um, your glasses because I know. Um, well, I would say, I think that you're right. And you're wrong. Isn't that perfect? Um, I cannot wrap my head around the idea that Mark Frost could make that many mistakes. Now, I will say that I wish The Secret History would have never come out before season three, because I think in a lot of ways, see, it ruined season three for me, because I was trying so hard to make the book fit. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it didn't. And now that it's over, it super doesn't fit. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and the second one, in my opinion, is has more mistakes than the first because it in the first one, we didn't really know who Tammy Preston was. We didn't know when Twin Peaks was set. We didn't know about the murder of Bill Hastings' girlfriend, I can't think of her name, Ruth, whoever, 
whatever Ruth's last name is. But in the second book, we do know those things, and the dates don't jive up. And, you know, they mention Tammy Preston staying there after part 16, which would mean that the year would have to be the same, and the second book has a date one year later from the first book. Like, what, she stayed in Twin Peaks for a year? (laughs) Like... I got that impression. I, too. I agree with you. Yeah. There are mistakes. Um, and they're not intentional. And then of course the whole bit of um Norma's mother, who is so unimportant, I can't remember her name. You know, she's basically the star of the second book. She has the most word count of any character. Wow. And and it's because he had to fix the mistake of her not being a mother. Come on, she was never a stepmother. Nobody treats a stepmother like that. I'm a stepfather. They hardly even acknowledge me. <laughs> if I went into the double R and my stepdaughter owned it, she wouldn't put napkins and, and uh, uh, tablecloths on for me. Nobody cares about a step-parent. They're I thought invisible. that was an odd one. The st- making her into a stepmom was odd. It, it didn't jive well, well yeah, with because he had to fix the mistake. So in that sense, I think you're right. But I can't believe that he really didn't know Laura wasn't 18 and all those huge mistakes. So I don't know. I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's going to be a mystery that we don't ever really know. And that's fine. And I'm not sure anyone cares. Yeah. I mean. You know, like I said, it's an unpopular opinion to think that maybe Frost just goofed, and that's fine. Or maybe it's half and half, like you're saying, like some stuff he really just didn't know, and some stuff he goofed on purpose just to throw people off, or whatever whatever reason he has. Um, the, the second book, I mean, there's parts of it I liked, and some of it I thought was off for characters. The characters didn't seem to jive with what I've seen on screen, but... I kind of look at the books as not companion pieces, but maybe just, you know, they're there. It's like an, you know, an Elsewood story. Like, it's just like a different take on Twin Peaks, I guess. And you don't have to read them to enjoy Twin Peaks, which is good. So Now, if you were going to show... Let's say you meet a new best friend. You're sick of, you're, you know, you've had it with Ben. <laughs> I've you, never had it with ben. You've had it with him in this scenario. You know what I mean? He doesn't show up for today's podcast, so he's out. And you had a new person. You were going to show them Twin Peaks. Would you give them the Laura Palmer diary to read when you're watching season two and the Laura Palmer diary shows up? You know... That's a good question. I, I kind of feel like um, Ben was a good teacher. I would follow his what he did. He had me read the book. I think that's when he had me read the book. He didn't. We didn't. Right. Read, we didn't read the book in between one and two because I think he felt that could have given given something away. Mm-hmm. Now I would too if I um, was showing someone. I would have them read Laura Palmer's diary when you're supposed to. Yeah. Now, my same question. Now, now they get to the end of episode 29. You watch Firewalk with me. Would you hand them Mark Frost's secret history before they started season three? Uh, no. No. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't. 
because I think it distracts you because you're so distracted with all the things that were wrong. And no matter what anyone says, I don't see how those things make sense once you see season three, even if you buy that Cooper changed history. Because if you buy that Cooper changed history, which, by the way, I don't. But if you buy it. I don't buy it either. Then you buy that that she didn't die because the body disappears. But in Mark Frost's book, she died at 18. So it's not like Carrie Page, you know, Laura didn't die and she became Carrie Page or lived her life or whatever. That doesn't happen because you got to believe Mark's book. She died at 18. Don't you wonder if there's people listening to us that are just angry. Like, what are you saying? It has to be. This is unpopular opinions. Remember that. And then in the new book, at the end, it's he solidifies it by saying, well, she didn't die. She disappeared. And Leland killed himself. And um, everything has changed. Right, which, yeah, and that wouldn't make sense for Leland being in the... In the red room, why? Why would he be in the black lodge when when Cooper's walking around and say, "Find Laura" and things like that? Yeah, good point. And yeah, <laughs> you don't kill yourself and get to go to the the red room. I mean, there's a lot of holes. Yeah, yeah. And I don't like what my problem is. Is I don't like that we get answers. You know, I don't want to know that Sarah Palmer ate the frog bug. Um, mm, yeah. Isn't it better to wonder? Isn't it better for you to tell me that it was the log lady for me to say, no, 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 it's Sarah Paulson. And for someone else to say, are you kidding me? That was Catherine Packard. Catherine <laughs> yeah. uh, Packard. <laughs> is that a, that's not her name, is it? Now, why, am I, why does that sound weird? Catherine Packard? That's her name, right? Catherine Packard. It's weird coming at me. <laughs> um, um but I totally, anyway, I totally you, know, agree. you want to argue. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, he gave us too many answers in that book. In some respects, I liked it, but in some respects, I don't. And I totally agree. I want mystery. Um, I don't want um, people to spell things out for us. I don't want people to give us answers to uh, certain things. And you're right. I mean, that book gave us a little too much, a little, like... Yeah, it gave us too many answers. I, I totally agree with that. I totally do. Well, and it's not even answers like in a cool way. It's like, you know, it's just it's just told. You know, it's almost like a screw you. You you wanted answers, you've been complaining. Here you go. This is what happened. Annie's fine. This is that. This is that. And and that doesn't uh this kind of can I can I do an unpopular opinion? Can I do one? Can yeah, I do yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it connects to this so my unpopular opinion is is that this idea of keep the mystery alive has to end now you know there's no reason for showtime or sabrina or lynch or frost or any of them to ever say keep the mystery alive because one mark frost book came out and that pulled the curtain back. And number two, these Blu-ray bonus features really pulled the curtain back on what Lynch does, how he directs, what he feels about scenes. I mean, you hear him talk about scenes. You see mm-hmm. that he did know everything. It was all plotted out. You know, you can no longer say things like, oh, Lynch just makes it up. No, he doesn't. 
weeks before when he's filming one scene. If, if a PA asks him, he says, no, 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 we're going to come in this way. It's going to be a two shot. We're going to get that. And then we're going to film this. Um, I think all the curtains have been opened. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, watching him direct and he's using other people's uh, money. And I find that he's very he's very efficient when using other people's money. Um, when it's not funded by himself, he seems to be, and I know right. he, he was kind of, you know, he pushed against Sabrina and others when he wanted to play in that sandbox a little bit longer. But for the most part, I, he seems to be a very efficient director to get what he wants. And he seems to get it reasonably quick. Who knows how, yeah. some of, how long those, some of those takes went, you know? But yeah, I feel like this season was more on point than accidental that maybe the first season one or two was when he directed. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like they've really shown us everything. Um, so I say you can't say let the mystery be anymore because you might as well be able to talk about anything and find out about anything because pretty much it's all out there. Yeah, I think... Mark Ross, his book really put it out there more than anything. Definitely. Uh, yeah, except for the ending, except for that final episode. I, you know, none of us have really any good grasp on that. We have our theories, which is great. And that's what I love. I think Twin Peaks, that's what it does best make us guess. Um, would you want a season four movie or are you kind of happy where it left off? Do you feel like we're good? Um, no, I want more. Um, because I truly believe if Lynch gives us more, it's going to be just like season three, where it's going to have nothing to do with season three. So it, mm. it doesn't matter. He would, he would have a story to tell. Um, you know, in my opinion, the story he wanted to tell is what happens when you unleash goodness into the world which I know that seems funny because you want to focus on Mr. C, but that's not really what the show was about. It was really about Dougie and how Dougie's acts of kindness created kindness. And I think that's much more Lynch than anything. Lynch Frost in that way. Yeah. So that was the story they really wanted to tell. And then they told that over 18 parts and it's hidden among other things. And I think if he came back for season four, you know, it's not going to have Dougie and there wouldn't be, it would be something completely new again that he wanted to tell. And as long as there's a part eight-esque type sort of thing or a part three, I'm in because those are the parts I care about more than Ed and Norma or Nadine and those type of things. So yeah. if Lynch was involved, I'd be, I'd be fine with it being more because it would be something. What about you? Uh, no, I, you know what? Exactly what you said. I, I would be down for another show or a movie as long as they felt like uh, they had it in them and they had a story to tell. And I kind of feel like that's how Lynch and Frost work. I don't, I don't see Lynch doing it for the sake of Showtime. I see Lynch doing it for the sake of him saying, "Okay, I might, I have more to give to this project." But I would want Lynch to go out, do his art, maybe make another movie, maybe do other things, life experience. And then come back and do it, and come fresh. You know, give give himself some time between 
uh, this season and the next if you were to do it again. And yeah, I, I, you said it perfectly. I mean, as long as he's involved, it it doesn't matter. Yeah, and, and also, I don't care if I get an answer to Carrie Page. I mean, answers don't matter to me. So if he wanted to make another movie, another Mulholland Drive or Lost Highway or Wild at Heart, I just want to see his work because I, it, it makes me think. And that's my favorite thing about Lynch's work. And, you know, flipping back to our X-Files discussion, there's no room to think in what you're saying in the X-Files. <laughs> it's being pounded on you. Uh-huh. But every part of season three, I was like, oh, what does this mean? And, oh, now I think this. And, and that's the fun. Yeah. Oh, no, I totally agree. I, I think X-Files, you know, made us think. And all, we ha- we had a great time as a community. I think the last time I was really thinking about what was going on was when I was watching True Detective season one. Week to week, mm-hmm. the internet was a buzz about that show, about what everything meant. What did that sign mean? What did this mean? Who's the killer? And, you know, Twin Peaks came along, and I had this, we had this, I had the almost like same experience, even more. But um, it's hard to find those shows that do that to a collective a body of people to make everybody um, really dive into something. Um, some shows try and they fail. Season two of True Detective tried to do something. I don't know what. Um, I don't know what either. I have no it idea. Horrible. Yeah, um, but I think I think Lynch could do it. So if we got a season four, I think we'd we'd be right back doing what we do. And that's why it's great. It wasn't it wasn't on a Netflix. It wasn't binged. We all got to enjoy it week to week. And I, I, I really enjoy that, to talk about yeah, it and too. think That's about it. That's the way TV should be consumed, in my opinion. And, um, you know, just to sort of tease the Blue Rose here, uh, because it, you made me think of that. That was one of the questions that uh, John asked Damon Lindelof yeah. is about binging and his answer is really good. I'm not going to tell what it is, but um, his, his, his thought process, because, you know, obviously he's a television creator with lost and the leftovers. Yeah. Um, is, is a really interesting answer. It was one of my favorite parts of the interview. Awesome. I, I can't wait to read that. I, I love the leftovers. I thought that was one of the just amazing, beautiful show that final season I, I, I loved it. In that show, I could not binge it. That final season, we I think we watched one or two episodes a night. It is just too heavy to binge. Yeah. I, I would have like jumped in front of a, a, a moving truck <laughs> if I had binged all eight episodes. I'd be like, I'm on my mind depressed or whatever. But like you can't there's just some shows you can't do it. You can't just sit there and binge it first watch and really take it all in. Um, well, I think that of all shows. I mean, that might be my most unpopular opinion that I have sitting here in 2018. Yeah. Is I I don't binge anything. There is not a show that I'll watch two episodes of in the same day. I just think you watch it and then think on it. And if the show doesn't make you think, then I'm probably not going to watch the next episode. So yeah, I mean, I'm that's, I'm that's... right there with you in a sense. I'll do. I like to do like if I if it's all on Netflix, I'll watch one or two, and I want to take my time. It'll take me a whole week or two weeks to watch 
eight to ten episodes of something. And a lot of my friends are like, mm-hmm. I watched it over a weekend. And I'm like, how the hell? First of all, how the hell did you have all that time? And second of all, right. I do, do you remember anything that happened? Like, they don't remember key moments of some show, but I kind of feel like the nuances get lost and the small moments get lost. And all you do is remember the key moments, but the people who made the show want you to remember everything and soak it in and... Um, right. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, and you know I I'll. It's hard not to, but if I can, I will stretch that out. I'll stretch something out as long as I can. Um. So I guess we're done with unpopular opinions. So you can write to Scott Ryan, all your hate yeah, mail. Yeah, by all means. Yeah. <laughs> oh, music. You're a music lover. I'm a music lover. Um. You you love the music of Twin Peaks. So I asked you, let's do the top 10. And you're like, I can't do the top 10. I could do 15 maybe. And um, so here we are. We yeah, have, so which one did you do? Did you do top 15 or did you do top 10? I did top 15 too. Okay, yeah, I have, I have top 15 on mine. Because I could, I mean, there was just ones I was leaving out and it was killing me. It it's it, honestly all the music is so good. It's hard to pick, um, but I'll let you go first. We'll start with fifteen. Okay, so my fifteen is Attack of the Pine Weasel, and um, this one is not used. <laughs> I think it's only used once. Um, and I'm I'm gonna click play on here. Now, I just think this one is so fun and different and unangelo, but it's awesome. So that's my 15th pick. Nice. That's a now, good one. It's just different. And so I wanted that, that one was in there because I'm proud of Angelo. Now, are you going to go with your 15? Yeah. Number I'll, 15, we're going to go one, 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 one. I'll do my 15. Yeah, we'll go back and forth. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to be... Some of these songs, I'm not going to be as knowledgeable as you are. So, um... I I never expect you to be as knowledgeable as me. (laughs) You, I know. I try to be. (laughs) Um, So, my 15, um, I believe this was off the season one soundtrack, was uh, Freshly Squeezed. Oh, good one. Angelo Badamente. And... I, his score, I mean, he, he's just so talented. He can do anything. Um, and you've listened to the soundtrack to what was Lynch's Disney film? It's escaping me now. Uh, straight Story. Yeah, Straight, straight story. story. That soundtrack is amazing. And you, you would just be like, that's Angelo Badamente? Um, so, yeah, Freshly Squeezed is 15. I just, um, a lot of the older stuff, like from season one, it just, you it, it it harkens back certain scenes um, that I like, so that's my fifteen. Okay, so my number fourteen is Packard's Vibration, and this is another uh, Twin Peaks archive, so it never came out on a real CD. But it is so it is used so much for Catherine, and um, it's just got this pulsating sound that to me just 
screens of season two, and it's it's one of my favorites. I was so excited to have it. That is a good one. I like how you know they got in a rhythm where everybody did have their kind of their own theme. Yeah, for the most part, you know. Um, fourteen for me. Uh, Dance of the Dream Man. That that song is just amazing, and it just conjures up the Red Room a little bit for me. Um, and it, I don't know, it's just a great, like, yet again, Angelo Badamente can't do any wrong. Definitely. My 13 is what I think is probably the best um, theme song from season three, and that's Windswept by Johnny Jewell. Oh. This song, I, I really, you know, we talk about... Um, music that just puts you in the scene. I mean, boom, I'm right there to Dougie at that um, statue's feet and the way Kyle's looking there. And so I, I really love Windswept. That is definitely a good what one. Do you get? Um, what do you got for 13? 13, um, one of my favorite Lynch films, Firewalk With Me, the theme song to Firewalk With Me. Mm. Yes. It's called. It, maybe you'll know why on the soundtrack. It's called "Theme to Twin Peaks," "Firewalk with Me," but it's not the theme to Twin Peaks. But it's like well, it's, it's the theme to Twin Peaks "Firewalk with Me." Yeah, I got so you. So it is the theme song, um, and it's actually "She Would Die for Love" is the actual uh, song title. Oh, okay. I mean, I I just love um, it, yeah. Yeah, I might have more to say about that one. Okay. Uh, number 12 <laughs> for me is Dark Mood Woods. This is very much associated with the entrance to the Black Lodge and one of the few themes that they actually used in season three. And this is just, I mean, the creepiness of it and, again, the pulsating sound of it you know you just hear this one and you're in the woods and you're scared awesome um number 12 for me is one of my favorites and i got to see on the big screen is uh nine inch nails doing she's gone away on the um at the roadhouse in season three and a lot of people didn't like it and that's fine um i'm a huge nine inch nails fan for me um to see a whole performance by Nine Inch Nails on a show was really cool. And um, the fact that they wrote it for Twin Peaks and the original song they wrote, David Lynch said to Trent Reznor, I want it dirtier. This is not dirty enough. Like, I want it dirty. So he rewrote it, and this is the song we got, and lyrics are just amazing. And uh, I thought it was a great performance, and I got to see it on the big screen. Uh, so for me, as a big fan of theirs, I really enjoyed it. And a lot of people say it's way too long, and it they didn't like it, and that's fine. I totally get it. It is, it does break up that episode. It's I for me, it's a great play. It's a good. Hey, if you don't like them, you can go pee before the big moment happens. <laughs> you have plenty of time to go to the bathroom. And for people like me. Um, you get, I get to just soak it in before the craziness hits in episode eight. 
Well, I'm very glad you picked that song because when I first heard that, the very, very first time I watched part eight, I hated it. I was miserable. I was angry. <laughs> and I yeah. got to tell you, I really like it now because I listen to music on vinyl. So I listened to the vinyl of that album. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'm always going to skip it. I will get up and skip that song. And it's the exact opposite. I love when it comes on. I've totally bought into it. And that is not my brand of music at all. But I'm glad you picked it because it's awesome. Yeah. Um, my number 11 is from Firewalk With Me. And it's called Birds in Hell. And on the CD, you just hear the smallest snippet of this song in a montage where she is looking at the clock um, as it spins moment, you know, on her last day of school. Uh-huh. But on the Twin Peaks archive release, it's a full five minute song and it is beautiful. It, I just am so in love with this track. And when you think of, you know, you think of the work Angelo did that we know, and here's this five minute thing that we get maybe 20 seconds of in the movie. And you don't even get to hear the beauty of it because it wasn't even on the soundtrack. And um, if you don't know Birds in Hell, the extended version, seek it out because it's beautiful. I, I think Ben gave me a thumb drive with all this music. I got to dig into that because I know the montage you're talking about. And mm-hmm. yeah, I would love to hear the whole thing. So I, I'm going to yeah, have to. beautiful. Awesome. Um, for, uh, number 11 for me, uh, the Bookhouse Boys theme. It just, I don't know. It's classic Twin Peaks. You hear that? It, it just, I don't know. I couldn't tell you what episode, but I. it just, it makes me think of wood. It makes me think of red. And it just um, gives you that, that nostalgia feeling for Twin Peaks. Yeah, and, and always makes me think of um, Bobby Briggs, uh, the beginning guitar rift. Um, so my number 10 is The World Spins by Julie Cruz from season two. Um, I think that in all of Twin Peaks, the best use of a musical performance is Julie Cruz, The World Spins, in episode 14 at the end after Maddie dies. Um, yeah. And I actually write in issue five about the use of The World Spins in season three because I talk about the Bang Bang performances and I won't go into what I said there. But I mean, in season two, Julie's performance is just perfect. I love it. I, I agree. And I I could just say, for me personally, I, I thought it was kind of, I wanted that whole performance in season three, and I, I wish we got it. I'll, I'll, I'll just say that. So what do you got for your number 10? I have Shadow by the Chromomatics. Mm. And I, I it was a great song for the Roadhouse that very first episode I was dreamlike uh, lyrically it matches you know sh- the, a lot of these songs were written for the show and I think it, it it was a great way to end it because that song was stuck in everyone's head we left with a smile <laughs> like even if you watched the first episode and you didn't like it but you heard that song I can't imagine anybody not liking it like you're, you you hear it and you go, 
it's a nice, happy, it, it sounds like you're floaty and it's a, it puts in a good mood. Um, and it always remind me of that, seeing that first episode for the first time with everybody and, um, tweeting and texting right afterwards. And that song being stuck in my head that whole week. And I was just like, oh man, if this is the first song, I can't wait to, you know, what else were we going to get? Cause this was really good. Um, so no, I agree. I mean, I, I can't believe that song wasn't written for the series. When I first heard it, I assumed it was, I assumed it was a new Lynch Angelo song. Um, cause I didn't know it before that. And then you find out, no, it, it's this other band. And so that's a great one. So my number nine is our first repeat. I have dance of the dream man from season one. Um, I mean, it's not surprising we both picked that because yeah. <laughs> that is a seminal music moment and you can't help but picture Michael Anderson dancing there and freaking you out the first time you see that. So that's my number nine. Yeah, that well, that's forever image, an image of Twin Peaks right there. Uh, my number nine is Snake Eyes by Trouble in uh, season three. Um it was oh god what I, I don't remember what episode it was used during a Dougie stu- uh, a, a Dougie part I believe, but the song is just so good and um, that got stuck in my head the whole week I heard that and Lynch was perf was really on point with using uh, certain musical acts or songs during certain parts of the show that weren't Roadhouse related. And I thought he did such a great job. And this was one of my favorite scenes and, um, like, use of the, the music. But it, it was weird. Yeah, I'm like, I agree. I'm like, it's not really a song for Twin Peaks, but he used it in Twin Peaks. But then I was like, I was overthinking things. But, yeah. No, it's, it's a good one. Um, my number eight is the Double R Swing. And this is the song that's used in Firewalk With Me when Laura is bringing out the Meals on Wheels things with um, Shelly. And again, this is a song that's used for a very short amount of time. It's not on the Firewalk With Me soundtrack. But when I got the Twin Peaks archives, I found myself going back to this little bouncy little song. And it's something that I just love. It's got, it's got a nice movement and it's one of my favorites. And number eight for me, Julie Cruz, The World Spins. And everything you said before, Scott, that's exactly why I picked it. And I still believe, I was kind of hoping in the Blu-ray release we would actually get a full version of that. But we got what we got. I still liked it. But I can always go back and watch in season two uh, when Maddie dies and just watch that. But yeah. Oh, yeah. And the way Cooper looks up and then it's just the world. It's just so beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Um, my number seven is a track called Annie and Cooper. It's from season two. It's got a saxophone. It's got a nice little sway. It's a perfect love song. It's it's on the season two and more music CD. And it has always been just one of my favorites. Um, it has tinges of questions in a world of blue, but it is a complete 
it, it's a new theme, and, and I love that one. Awesome. Um, seven for me was a David Lynch remix of American Woman by the Muddy Magnolias. And I had no... I, I think it was one of the best entrances for a character, and I know a lot of people think that, and it was, um, to have Mr. C be introduced with this music. Um, and I had the closed captioning on, so when it said American Woman, I was like, what? If I didn't have the closed captioning, I'm, I would have no idea what it was, but it was awesome. And I just wanted to listen to it in my car. Like I just wanted to drive around town blaring <laughs> that song. It was just so cool. <laughs> I really hope that there isn't a um, poor driver that cuts you off while you're driving around town listening to Mr. C's theme. You're like, why did Brian snap? Well, he was, he was listening to the David Lynch remix of American Woman. Oh, man. Who can blame him? <laughs> um, my number six theme is Hook Rug Dance. And um, this is one that has been my ringtone many times. Um, and it kills me that this isn't in my top five. That's how much I love my top five picks because um, I, I, I'm playing a little bit of it now. Now, if you can't see Jerry Horn and Ben Horn sitting on the uh, bunk beds here, I don't know what's, what's, what's wrong with you because this is just good news to me. That's my number six. Uh, My number six, six, sick. My number six is David Lynch and Dean Hurley, Slow 30s Room. And that's the, Mm. that, like, we hear that from the record player. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so cool. It's in the the new soundtrack and um, it just conjured up them in the waiting area of the red room where he's Cooper is just sitting there and you just hear this music. And I, I like that we got a nice long version of that and it's very haunting and I do enjoy it. I'm glad you picked that one. I, that was one that didn't make my list, but it was super close. So I'm, I'm excited that it made yours because I, I, that's one of my favorites. So my number five is, I got a real indication of a laugh coming on ah. from Firewalk With Me. I love this song. And, you know, most of my picks here, I think, are from Firewalk With Me, which I think that score is just phenomenal. I mean, Angelo was in the prime of his life and just so on the ball throughout Firewalk With Me. But here you get this crazy number. It plays when Bobby and Laura are in front of the school and I just love Angela's performance of it. And I mean, I just, I see, I wish I could perform this live. When you guys reach your 500th episode, (laughs) let's try to get a band in. I'll come down to the studio. I mean, I love, I listen to this one and I sing along and my kids think I'm crazy. They do whether I'm singing or not, but I love a real indication. When we do our musical episode, when we run out mm-hmm. of ideas, um, yeah, that that's what we're gonna do, I'm Scott. In. You're in. I would love to hear that. <laughs> I, I'm I'm in. I I would really love to hear it. 
Uh, so number five is probably one of, other than Nine Inch Nails, one of my favorite performances at the Roadhouse in season three was Rebecca De Rio doing No Stars. Um, I really, really liked it. There was some, I saw some criticism people saying it was auto-tuned. I, I don't really think it was. Um, John wow. Neff produced it. Um, and I think he was on guitar. Um, and I, I just have, after talking to John Neff, I had a real appreciation more for that song and it was just beautiful. And, um, I think one of the very sh- uh, shining moments of season three. Well, it's my number four pick. Oh, There's no stars. So, so, so we're at the same, same uh, same song at the same time. Um, this is the emotional highlight of season three, is her performance of No, no Stars. I mean, I guess you could maybe argue Ed and Norma getting together. You could have them maybe duke it out. But, I mean, mixing from the log lady, giving her her talk to Hawk, and then you go into No Stars because she because the log lady tells him that something's coming and the dam's about to burst and all these things, and then you go into a, a sky with no stars. I mean, what darkness are, is coming? So it's just beautiful. I've had the honor of meeting Rebecca Del, Rio, and she's Del Rey, and she is, um, she, I mean, she's so nice, and she was not auto-tuned. She can sing like that. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was weird. You know, people, like, Yet again, like we go back to our old conversation, people are just so hypercritical um, because of the election. We'll just blame Trump. They're hypercritical on everything. Right. Um, how dare she sing so good? Um, <laughs> it's got to be fake. Um, so my number four, I have three versions. I have the Twin Peaks theme, Falling, um, the instrumental. I have the vocal, Julie Cruz. But then I have, it's all tied. I have the third version by Scott Ryan. Because all three versions <laughs> run through my head when sure. I hear that song. When I hear it, I hear you singing it. it I watched when, I'm watching season two right now. I'm re-watching season two. And uh, Scott Ryan, you sing the theme song every time. But so, you're so good at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was one of the dumber things I did was doing that for you guys. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Um, hopefully they've removed that. Well, you know, I don't have Falling on my list. And the reason is is because I'm sick of it being on every one of those soundtrack releases. So I'm, I'm slightly angry with Falling. I don't know why it had to be on the Bang Bang version and the 4 version. And, of course, it's on... It's on Firewalk with Me. It's on the original Twin Peaks. It's on the season two one. And I get it. It's the theme, but I don't know. I have so many versions of that song. I don't know. Yeah. So no. my number yeah. three is called Great Northern Annie. Oh. And this is a piano track that just plays when they're in the, um, whenever someone's eating at the Great Northern. And it, it is just so beautiful. And it's just Nice piano, and I I would love to know if it's really Angelo playing it or if he scored it for someone else. And this is again from the Twin Peaks archive releases. And when I got 
this piano one. It's, it's a song I never thought I would get, but when you're watching, you know, if you're in season two, you'll notice like when Norma goes out to dinner with her stepmom and uh, all the um, Hank and Ernie is playing in the background. It's just really nice music to, to work to. So that's my number three. Nice. Uh, my number three, Laura Palmer's theme, the love theme. I guess it has two names, sort of. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I mean, it's just classic, but it's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the first time you heard that, it it rocked your world. Oh, yes, I mean, it's, definitely. It's, it's beautiful. Well, my number two one, I have a feeling it's going to be your number one. So I'm sorry that I'm stealing your thunder. Um, but my number two is The Sycamore Trees by Little Jimmy Scott. Scott, that's my number two as well. I got idea, man. You take me for a walk. Oh, so we hit at number two. Yeah. I thought that would be your number one. Um, if you have a record player, if you have the vinyl release of Firewalk with me, the the great one that they did. Man, turn the lights off and turn up sycamore trees and let it ring through your whole house. It's beautiful. I could listen to it every day. I love the sycamore trees. It's a, it's a great song outside the Twin Peaks world. It's just a great song in general. Well, and you know, it's interesting that you say that because I have always been curious as why someone hasn't covered this song. And I don't mean me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Michael Bublé. Like, why doesn't Michael Bublé sing Sycamore Trees? Or hmm. um, John Pizzarelli or any jazz artist. You know, you would be bringing it to a world that probably hasn't heard it, because probably most of the only Twin Peaks fans have heard this song. Um, you know, Frank Sinatra was alive. How cool would it be to hear Frank Sinatra sing, and I'll see you and you'll see me in the branches that blow? I mean, it'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah This should be a standard. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Outside, you, This could be a hit for a jazz... Uh, singer-songwriter out there, I, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, they could do cover this, and it could be like when Johnny Cash covered Nine Inch Nails, everybody like, oh, this is a great Johnny Cash song. I'm like, well, no, really, this right. song is like 10 years old, and it was a Nine Inch Nails song. And if someone covered this, it would bring it to a whole new audience, and people would revere it as brand new, this is so wonderful. And people like, oh, no, but it came from this. And I, I, I think you're right, like, Someone that's in the mainstream could cover it right now, and it could be a potentially a big hit for him. Yeah, definitely. I've I've thought that for years. Um, it, it, it's just a, a beautiful one. So I really thought this was going to be your number one. And so, just give me one second here. Let me let me bring the whole show to a stop. I mean, people they're driving, they're thinking, and I want to try to think for just a second at what your number one is. All right. 
Um, because I am really, I would have bet anything it was going to be Sycamore Treaties, and you picked the Laura thing. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I think I know what your number one is. I feel better now. All right. Um, you go ahead. You, you want me to say, or you, you want to say? Uh, you go first. No, I mean I'm going to say yours. I, I mean, I'm just saying. I, are you going to trust that I'm right if I don't say? So say your number one, and I won't cheat. All right. <laughs> You're not going to cheat. You should say it first. Then what do you think my number one is? I think your number one is Audrey's stance. It didn't even make my list. Um, and it's yeah, it great. didn't make mine either. That's why I was thinking. I thought you were going to pick it. Um, oh, well, that's our bonus pick. Because <laughs> I didn't pick it either. Oh, darn. Okay, so what's your number one? I, I can't wait to hear it. My number one, my favorite song uh, from the Fire Walk With Me soundtrack is the Pink Room theme. I absolutely love, like, when they're in that, they're in the Pink Room, that music is just amazing. And I, when I saw it in the theater... It was just even better, like just blaring. And I just love that scene. I loved how it was filmed. I loved how they have to yell and you have to read the subtitles to really know what they're saying. Um, and that music is just so good. It's one of my favorites. It's my top. It was do you have do you have a, diff a different feeling between Pink Room and Blue Frank? Or did I just uh, nerd out too far? <laughs> I think you nerded out too far. What is is Blue Frank the name of that song? Or well, is... no. So there's there's actually two songs that play in that scene. There's the Pink Room and mm -hmm. Blue Frank. Um, because it changes. And I was just curious when you're starting off the scene. Now I put you on the spot. You did because now I can't I... distinguish the two. I would say when the scene starts, when the very beginning of the scene. So it's probably the pink room yeah. is what your is is your pick, which is what you said. Yes. Now let's see here. I'm I'm double click. This is the pink room. Now this is blue frank. God, you blew my mind, Scott. I thought they were the same song. I know, that's because it, it looks like it is, but it isn't. There's actually two songs. Holy crap. Because so the scene actually changes. One part is the front part, but then when they get to the um, booth, when she snaps her fingers and points down, I don't know what she means by that. And then that's when they start to play Blue Frank. So there's actually two songs there. Now, was Blue Frank on the soundtrack for Firewalk with Me? It is not. That you is can only why get Blue Frank by getting the uh, bonus features or the the Twin Peaks archive. Wow! So that is why I there's confusion on my part because on the soundtrack, um, that first part I always thought it led into that. So, right. No, it's actually different. Isn't it fascinating? That's what I'm saying. Angelo's work in Firewalk with Me is mind-blowing. Yeah. Even things that you don't get to hear on a, on a basis. So my number one pick, you already picked, but it is my all-time favorite song, and it is theme from Firewalk with Me. 
image, which is also "She Would Die for Love" with lyrics on Julie Cruz's album "The Voice of Love." Um, to me, it's the single best song from Twin Peaks. It sums up Twin Peaks. It um, it's got the bass, which is the scary part. It's got ominous chords. Then it's got the saxophone that comes in, which is the sexy part of Laura Palmer. It's got a sadness. I mean, it is the theme from Firewalk with me.、Um, I don't know how one piece of music can bring all that up, but Angelo can do it.、And、I think this was so much fun to pick the 15, and it's funny because I just mentioned the voice of love, and I love that one. And then we didn't do Audrey's dance, and and you know you could just keep going. And、yeah. a different day, there'd be a different one. Yeah, I mean, it was hard just to pick this 15. Like, I I just wrote down my favorite songs, and then I just had to rank. I rank them in the order I like them in, but. My original list was make maybe twenty, but then I'm like, well, all this music is amazing. But I just, it is really hard, and I'm glad I learned something. I, I didn't know about Blue Frank, and now I gotta go into that thumb drive and I gotta find that song. Yeah, find Blue Frank because it's 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 glorious as well. So,、um, well, I'll tell you, I have been sitting in this. Uh, uncomfortable chair. You guys have the comfy chairs, and I mean, I think we have to wrap <laughs> this up because the my. I mean, I'm getting old, and I don't have a blanket or a, a little cushion or nothing on this folding chair, and, and I didn't want to complain. But it actually one of the、uh, knobs is off, so I've been balancing back and forth from it. So it's not even even. I mean, this is ridiculous. This、I、is、know. not how you treat. This is not how Johnny Carson treated Joan Rivers. I can tell you that right now. You're no Joan Rivers, sir. I am not. <laughs> I mean, you, you know what? Ben can have his show back. I'm. I don't want to do this again. This is ridiculous.、Oh, I'm out of here. Ben, where are you, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> um, Ben does say hi. He says hi. Um, so before we get out of here. Uh, some quick housekeeping,、uh, Scott. Before we let you go, and you can stand up from your knob.、Um, what, <laughs> what, what? Where can we find you? What projects you have going on? Any future projects?、Uh, lay it out. Give it to us. Well, <coughs> my home base, of course, is the Blue Rose Magazine with John Thorne and Courtney Stallings and all of our writers. You can go out to bluerosemag.com and subscribe to Year Two, which we're calling the Log Lady Special. When you do that, a dollar of every subscription is being donated to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, which is the home of Catherine Coulson. We, you will also get the Women of Lynch issue, which is coming out this summer. That is going to be. Phenomenal! We have all females writing about all of the female Lynch characters. If you subscribe, you get that, and there's no price hike. It's the best deal. It's the best for shipping. It's you know, go out and subscribe to the Blue Rose. Follow us at Blue Rose Mag One at Twitter or something. I don't know. I think that's what our Twitter thing is. It sounded weird when I said it. And then of course,、um, we'll be doing the Red Room here and there. We don't. I don't know when we're doing another episode. We do it when we feel like it.、So. And yeah. to thank you so much for letting me come and talk with you, even though I had to be unpopular to to get on.、Um, <laughs> this was fun. I enjoyed it. 
No, I mean, it's been awesome, Scott. Like, um, I highly recommend to people, if you love television and you love Scott and Josh Mitten, they, they do some awesome TV recap, like the best ofs or shows you should be watching or stuff like that. And honestly, I've heard you guys talk about shows I haven't watched, and it made me think, oh, I should give those a chance because I, um, I respect you guys' opinions. I think you guys have great tastes in uh, television. And I highly recommend your show to everybody. If you like Twin Peaks or you like just television in general, um, you guys really do a great job. Oh, thank you. And we kind of did a little bit of it today. I was wondering if, if Ben's going to be angry with us because we were way off topic talking about Exile, Star, Star Wars, Star Trek. And that's what I like to do. Like, you know, it always comes back to Twin Peaks, but it's, it's fun to, to see the influences. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think this was, it was a great episode to do that with you. Um, cause you're so good at it. You bring it right back to Twin Peaks. I would just go on forever and I'm like, Oh shoot, <laughs> we should bring this back. But you, you know when to do it. I w- like I said, I, I, I have no idea. I just have to say, you have to watch Veep, Scott. You have to watch Veep. I'm only saying this to, to tease you a little bit, but I think you'd like it. <laughs> I know. I, I should. I should give it another shot. I just. It didn't work for me. Fair. But enough. I should because I mean everyone tells me that. I mean I did try if that helps, but I just it didn't. I don't know. Yeah. I'll try. Try. Try again. I'll never try on The Walking Dead. That is never happening. Veep. Uh, I probably will like. And yeah, I'll Veep. Be, Ten years from now, I'll be saying. Veep was wonderful. Why didn't anyone tell me? And you'll say, you, I'm putting my Mr. C music on and chasing you down. Yeah. I mean, Veep for me got really good in season two and season three was phenomenal. I haven't watched the last two. I've been slacking, but I really liked it. Uh, The Walking Dead, I gave up on that show. I, I just, I'm done with that show. Um, So I don't blame you on that one. I wouldn't make anybody watch it because you can live without it. It's eh. Um, so you can find us at iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. Um, we've been submitted to Spotify. So hopefully we'll be on Spotify eventually. Um, give us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. All our shows are on Podbean at twinpeaksunwrapped.com. And YouTube. We have our YouTube channel. Everything's on there as well. And Scott, this has been a great time. And Scott, what's your email again? Uh, my email is Brian <laughs> at TwinPeaksUnwrapped.com. And you can send all and your hate mail all, there. <laughs> send all of your Trump, uh, your pro-Trump, and how he, you know, is the savior right on in to Brian at <laughs> TwinPeaksUnwrapped.com, and I'll get all of them. All right. All right. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. And um, we're out of here. We'll be back next week. Uh, ben will be back. He says hi to everybody, and have a good night. Bye.